Divine Healing. By Rod Anderson. Lesson six. Father, we thank you once again for your word. And again, Lord, you said that the entrance of your word brings light. Please, please help us, Father, to keep allowing the word of God to have entrance. Let us open the door so wide to the word of God that it's it just so welcome that it just can flood into our lives, into our homes. And let us shut the door. Let us shut the door to anything that's anti or against Christ. In Jesus' name, Father, now help us as we look into these matters. Amen. We just got from left Mark 5, but if you're just beneath that point 3 is Luke 5. I don't want you to turn there because of time, because uh, I want to move on to some things, but I want you to read those on your own, to say the least. In other words, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26 is where you see about the man that was born by four. In other words, they were in Peter's house preaching. Jesus was in Peter, Peter's house preaching. There was no room to come into the house, but these four men uh, were so devoted to their friend, remember, that on a litter, they carried him up on top of a roof. They dug a hole in the roof, and actually in the Greek, it says that he was, they cast him at Jesus' feet. And we used to jokingly ask ourselves, we don't know if he got healed on the first bounce or the second bounce, <laughs> but the fact is he cast him down there. And it's an important part to see, too, because I, I w almost wanted to go there, because that's where the people... No, I'm sorry. It's the next one where you'll see where Jesus was to heal somebody. And the disciples would ask this question, uh, who sinned when the person that was born blind? In fact, I think it's the next one. Uh, in, well, in Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 43, is blind Bartimaeus. Actually, it's not that one. But I, just read these for you. John chapter 4, verse 46 to 53 is the nobleman's son. John 5, verses 1 through 14 is the pool of, man at the pool of Bethesda. Now, I'm not going to this one passage, but in this one passage where Jesus heals a blind person, uh, to me it's important to see this because the disciples, not his disciples, but the people round about, are always looking for natural causes for things. And for, again, they're looking for secondary priorities. Now, this is what I mean by that. They say in this one passage, they look at this blind man and they come thinking that they're asking a really sharp question. They said, Jesus, who sinned? Do you remember that? Who sinned, this person or their parents, that he was born blind? Now, first of all, think about that. The guy was born blind. So listen to some of this theology because some of this theology is around today. Who sinned? The boy? or the parents, that he was born blind. Well, if you were born blind, where could the boy have sinned? I mean, and there's a teaching today about, you know, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, some people are weird. There are teachings about how you can sin while you're still in the womb. Now, <laughs> whatever, I don't, I'm not even gonna go there. I mean, I don't know how anybody can get that stupid. Forgive me, I should, I'm supposed to talk nice and walk in love, but that's, that's ignorance and ignorance gone to seed. That's ignorance has been around for so long they don't even know what they're doing. But the point is, when these people look at this blind person and they say, hmm, I wonder why he's in that condition. I wonder if it's because of his sin or the sin of his parents. And Jesus says something very important. He said, neither. 
He said, but that the works of God or the works of heaven might be done. And basically healed the person. The point is this. Today we have people that are so busy looking for the causes. I say this over and over again. Yes, it's important to know about things that cause open doors to sickness and disease. If you knowingly live in, a, in disobedience and you knowingly live in a state of rebellion against the things of God, of course you can put yourself in dangerous territory. You're in enemy territory where things of the world can come upon you. But again, you see, it's the world that wants you to live focused on what has caused a problem, where God's desire is to get you to the cure of the problem. And this is something that's just a change in your dynamic of living. You've got to just move towards God and move away from always looking for the causes. And if and then you allow yourself that grace to get there where God actually does manifest himself on you and to you and through you. Trust me, there'll come a time when you'll understand more about causes, causality as they call it and what have you. But the point is just understand that Jesus Christ just kind of bulldozed past their questions and says, neither, let's don't even talk about it. Who sinned, whether he sinned or his parents sinned. The only, know, the only thing I want you to know right now is that the God of heaven is gonna be glorified and he healed him, hallelujah. And that, that's what this is all about. And see, every single one of you, this is what I want you to understand. Every single one of you as believers, you never have to ask yourself about whether or not you have a ministry to the sick. Because the Bible says that all those who believe, all those who are believers in Christ Jesus are to lay hands on the sick. And that's why I want you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 16 to the Great Commission. Turn to Mark 16. Because we're going to look now at point C in the outline that says the church age. The church age, okay? So, but Mark 16, this is called the Great Commission. I'm sure that you're familiar with it, but let's just read it afresh. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 15. Well, actually, I'm going to start in verse 13. It says, and they returned to Jerusalem. This is after Jesus has died and He's been raised from the dead, but many of the disciples don't believe yet. It says, and they returned to Jerusalem and told the others, but they did not believe them either. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus appeared to the 11 apostles themselves as they reclined at table, and he reproved and reproached them for their unbelief, for their lack of faith and their hardness of heart, because they had refused to believe. See, unbelief is a choice. They had refused to believe those who had seen him and looked at him attentively after he had risen from death. Verse 15, and he said to them, I want you to go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news of the gospel to every creature of the whole human race. What's the first three words of chapter six, uh, verse 16? He who believes, that's the qualifier right there. Is anybody in here a believer? Just pretend anyhow. <laughs> he who believes, what does Jesus say? He who believes, who adheres to, trusts and relies on the gospel and him whom it sets forth and is baptized will be saved from the penalty of eternal death. But he who does not believe, who does not adhere and trust in and rely on the gospel will be condemned. And these attesting signs, 
Verse 17, these attesting signs will accompany those who believe. And you know, this to me gets tough sometimes because Jesus said where there are believers, there will be these signs. Doesn't it? Does it say that? Well, if there's no signs, then what do you have to put to the equation? If there's no signs, there's not very much belief, is there? <laughs> not really. Either they're, they're not, either they don't believe at all or else they simply have so little faith, they're so untaught or they believe something else so strongly that they've literally destroyed the opportunity of what Christ wants to do here. Because you've got to remember, keep remembering as we walk through all this stuff again, you know, Matthew 13 and all these, all the places where again, Jesus, remember, Jesus in his own home, Jesus in his own hometown. He's the same Jesus in Nazareth as he was anywhere else. But Jesus himself could not do I, I, to me, that's still one of the most astounding things to really look at. Jesus Christ himself could not do what he could do anywhere else. Jesus Christ in his own hometown, own hometown could not do any mighty works because of their unbelief. I mean, doesn't does that strike you? Still, I mean, no matter how many times I teach it or hear it, I think that here you have the very Son of God in a place. The power of the Lord's present to heal like any other place. He's as anointed then as he is any time else, isn't he? Isn't he? He's just as anointed then as he was any time else. He was the Son of God in the flesh. The Son of Man come. And what people in a city believe was the determining factor and what he was able to release. Now that's one of the most powerful things that you have to grasp. This is why, like I said, for Jesus Christ to work, it's not, you see, it's not that he, whether or not he wants to. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? It's not whether or not he wants to, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's whether or not he can find faith. Can he find somebody that will believe? Not just pretend, not attempt, but believe to the saving of their soul and even, you know, to the saving of their bodies, to the healing of their bodies. To the, will there be a persistence? Will there be a continuance? Will there be somebody that'll take hold of the word of God, like I said, like a Hungry tiger would a piece of red meat and say, this is God's word. See, this is not a man's teaching. This is not something Grace Training Institute is teaching me. This is not some teaching that Rod Anderson has. This is not some teaching that Benny Hinn has. This is not some teaching that whosoever you admire has. This is God's word. God is not a man that he should lie. Is he? Uh, no, he isn't. And so he said, 
where there's a belief, where there's believers, it says here, these attesting signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And even if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. Hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will get well. I mean, it's an imperative in the Greek. They will get well. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord kept working with them and confirmed the message by the attesting signs and miracles that closely accompanied it. Now remember the disciples, Jesus, just like Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, it says he went about teaching and preaching the kingdom of God. Now, as you look into the book of Acts and we begin to see, well, okay, sure, Jesus healed all that were sick, but how about in the book of Acts? How about after Jesus died and was raised from the dead, his disciples, did they just heal a few? Uh, did nobody get healed? Were all healed or what have you? We've just got some of the passages here. Acts chapter 3. You'll see here starting in verse 1. So you can see it in context. Context, rather. It says, verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, when a certain man crippled from birth was being carried along, who was laid each day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, so that he might beg for charitable gifts from those who entered the temple. So when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to give him a gift. And Peter directed his gaze intently at him, and so did John, and said, Look at us. And the man paid attention to them, expecting that he was going to get something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have that I give to you. In the use of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Right? This is what he says. In the name of Jesus, walk. And he took hold of the man's right hand with a firm grip and raised him up. And at once his feet and ankle bones became strong and steady. And leaping forth, he stood and began to walk. And he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, as the old song goes, walking and leaping. And, <laughs> and they recognized him as the man who usually sat begging for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement and bewilderment over what had occurred. Then you jump to verse 16 because all these people are freaked out about what's happened. And uh, Peter gives this entire whole thing saying, well, starting verse 12, Peter says, you men of Israel, why are you so surprised at wondering this? Why do you keep staring at us as though by our own individual power, by our own active piety, seeing our own righteousness, we've made this man able to walk. You gotta hear that. You have to separate yourself from your own abilities. You don't have the power to heal a flea. You hear me? But Christ in you, this is what they're trying to say right here. He's saying, listen, he said, why are you looking on us? And God help us if we would get our eyes off of people today. It's the message, not the messenger, remember, that we're after. He said, why do you look on us as though by our own power we made this man to walk? Verse 13, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, in other words, the very same God of covenant, you see, has glorified his servant and son Jesus, doing him this honor, whom you indeed delivered up, denied and rejected and disowned in the presence of Pilate. Verse 14, but you denied and you rejected and you disowned the pure and the holy, the just and the blameless one. 
You demanded the pardon of a murderer to be granted to you, but you killed the very source and the author of life whom God raised from the dead. But now look at verse 16, especially from the Amplified. And his name, Peter says, and I mean, he's pulling no punch. He said, it's his name. And through faith in his name. You see, my friends, as we start talking about healing today, it's all about authority. The power of God is all about the authority that is the highest authority that there is, which is in that name of Jesus Christ. Remember, that's what all this is about today. It's yes, it's the will of God to heal, but the transference of healing comes when somebody begins to exercise that authority and know that I'm not here in my strength, but I have been given the name of Jesus Christ. And so have you. And it's in that name that we're to serve him. And so Peter said here, and his name through faith in his name has made this man whom you see and recognize well and strong. Yes, the faith which is through and by him Jesus has given this man this perfect soundness of body before you all. So we see that that one man's healed. Then you turn to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories in a minute about something that happened in my own life, I think. But Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Acts chapter 9, if we start in verse 32 says, now as Peter went here and there, this is Peter now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he went down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedfast for eight years, eight years, and he was paralyzed. <clears throat> and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, now watch this. Peter said to him, because I want to share something else that I share often, but I don't think I've spoke to it just yet. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, now the guy's paralyzed and he's bedfast. Peter says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ makes you whole. Get up and make your bed. And it says immediately Aeneas stood up. And then all the inhabitants of Lydda and the plain of Sharon saw what happened to him and they turned to the Lord. Now, the reason I want to stop there for a moment is I think I shared it towards the beginning uh, but I want to say it again now. It's right to bring it in now. I want you to notice something in the Acts 3, Acts 9. And if we had gone through, and I do challenge you to do this, you, I want you to go through every single scripture in the New Testament where Jesus Christ, where there's healing takes place under the ministry of Jesus Christ. Every single place, listen to me now. This is where I used to tell you that my students, when I was director of the Bible school, would get shocked. I would ask my students this, I'll t I would say, find me one place in scripture where Jesus prays for the sick. Because you can't find a place. Not one place where he prays for the sick. I tell them in the book of Acts, find me one place in the book of Acts where one of the apostles prays for the sick. Because what you find in each case is right here, they speak, Jesus spoke to the sick, he didn't pray for. He had a greater authority that he carried with him like a coat. It was like a, it, this stuff that he wore was in his spirit. He spoke to these things and these things obeyed him. These things obeyed him. Spirits left when he spoke to them. Sicknesses and diseases departed when he spoke to them. Here we see Peter saying to a, a cripple 
at the gate called Beautiful, stand up in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. He's not praying for, oh God, please come heal him. He says, stand up in the name of Jesus Christ. Something so shocked the physical atmosphere and even the physical cell structure of this man's body that it says instantaneously healing just was there and the man stood up. I mean, he stood up probably before he even understood what he was doing. The same thing here in Acts 9, Aeneas. He said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ makes you whole. Get off your bed. <laughs> he jumps out of his bed. When, like you've got this book by Smith Wigglesworth, you'll read all through there about these things. Wigglesworth acting like this. There's something about knowing about this. When I first started teaching this stuff years ago, and when I still lived in California, I had a couple of events happen early on that, that you know, I'll just tell you two of them. One of them was uh, uh, my good friend Larry Clark in those days. We, he had one of these big old, well, over here they call him a caravan, but a very nice caravan. And we, his wife, himself, his two sons, uh, Aaron and Adam, and um, myself, my wife, my daughter, Anna, we all went up and up in the mountains because, you know, you've heard me say how much I love the big woods. We went up in the big redwoods up in Southern California, big, big mountainous area, and we camped up there and had a great time. And little Adam was about five and a half years old or six years old, and he walked off because he needed to use the toilet. And of course, you're out in the middle of the woods, and we'd driven someplace, and the, the, this caravan was a long way away. So Larry just said, well, Adam, just go over by that tree and, you know, just do the toilet business, right? The little guy walked over there, and I don't know if you've ever been in the big woods or something, especially when you get up above the timber line, you get what they call above the timber line, when the snow is gone, but there's so much broken foliage and broken trees and stuff because of all the old brush that's laying around. Well, hornets, you know what hornets are? I, I mean, something much worse than wasps. I mean, nasty, stinging, nasty suckers, believe me. Hornets build nests in like old decaying trees on the ground. This little kid stepped on this piece of wood and this wood busted through and he pulled down his clothes to use the toilet and I, this swarm of hornets come out, and I mean, this kid was hit with at least 40 to 50 hornets. I mean, before he could, we're way over here, we hear this blood-curdling scream. Ah! I mean, and this just screaming, and Larry starts running, we see this swarm of stuff. Larry runs in, Adam's running, bless his heart, left his shorts back there. The kid's, I mean, this is big time pain. I'm not talking about a little bee, I'm talking about hornets. And Larry, he, he knew, he, he, he didn't have, I don't know how to say it. Larry wanted him to get to me. But anyhow, the point of it is he, he runs back with him. He gave me this boy. And you know, this is what I mean about having this stuff in your spirit. Having the truth of God's stuff in your spirit. Not saying, okay, gee gosh, now let's see, what should we do? Let's see, do I turn here? Do I turn here? And, and I, I don't, this is, I, and this is not to draw attention to me, but I grabbed him. I said, let me have him. And I grabbed him. And I just took him, and the kid is screaming. You gotta understand, this kid is flailing, and just because, I mean, these suckers, I mean, that quick, their welts were up the size of like, you know, uh, 10p coins. I mean, this, this is bad, this is hornets, this is, way, this is not a thingy. I said, and I, just, I screamed, it came out of the top of my, out of the top of my, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I said, I rebuked this off him. I said, you said, Father, if we touch any deadly thing, drink any deadly thing, it will not harm us. That was like the rhema that rose up in me because I knew that that passage spoke about something accidental. 
In other words, if you drink any deadly thing, it will not harm you. If you, you know, pick up serpents, they will not, they will not kill you, you know. And there, I, I, that was the rhema that God handed me. But I just screamed that word at this little kid. He's screaming in pain. I'm screaming at him. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ. I said, no weapon. No, I mean, I quoted that verse. I said, if you drink any deadly thing, I said, if you pick up serpents, this will not harm you. And I said, I rebuke this thing in Jesus' name. And you're going to have to ask Larry and his wife sometime because you'll think I'm kidding. I'm holding at him. And I mean, he went from screaming just like this. He went. "Ah, ah, 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 ah." He just stopped. I mean, within within 10 seconds, within 10 seconds, he stopped crying. Larry's wife grabbed him, walked him in the thing. And I mean to tell you, within the next within the next two minutes, there wasn't one welt on this kid. I mean, there wasn't one sting on his body that you could see. I mean, God just just came in, and I mean, Larry, his eyes were this big. My eyes were this big. I mean, you know, it was just an, but I mean, when you see firsthand that kind of stuff, it doesn't make you feel something. You just begin to go, oh my God, this stuff is so real. Now, I mean, I physically dealt with that. I tell you another one. When I was coming, I went after I left the church one Sunday morning, I was asked to go and pray for this little five-year-old. And I went up into this hospital. I did my very first time walking into a children's cancer ward. And uh, it broke my heart. I walked in this cancer ward and I mean all these five-year-old, six-year-old, four-year-old kids with leukemia and and stuff and they're just so innocent and you know and my heart was just breaking and and I you know and this this family had asked me to come and pray for their son and so I prayed for this little boy and I, I just prayed for him and I'm getting to something I just I just prayed for him I wasn't I just prayed for him I didn't see any manifestation of anything with him at all now uh, I don't even and to be very honest I don't even remember <laughs> this is horrible I don't even remember what took place with him but I left that hospital mad by the time I got into my car. And I've learned something. This is why I have an aggression about me still. I think even you know, before I was saved, I was not known for being a very nice guy and, uh, in some areas of my life. But I think that there's part of that that God wanted me to keep because, you know, I don't know how else to say this, but you have to have an aggression about you in the things of the Spirit. You can't just kissy, kissy, you know, ooey gooey. Oh, Lord, I would like this to happen. And I guess if it happens, it's okay. But if it doesn't happen, I guess it's okay. Some limp-wristed, excuse me, faggot Christianity. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but got, you've got to have something about you. All I know is this. Where I've seen miracles is when there's been only what I can say a form of anger in me, but a righteous anger. Remember, Jesus got angry. And he kicked over the money tables, uh, the, the tables of the money changers, what have you. I left that hospital, and we were supposed to go to somebody's house for a barbecue in a Southern California in the summertime. Everybody has lunch after church, you know, something like this. And I was, they asked me if I'd stop and go to this. Just they, they called me on the phone and said, "Would you stop and get something from the store?" And so I pulled in. And if, if over here, well, okay, now they have supermarkets here. You've seen like the big Asdas or or big supermarkets where you have car parks right in front of the right in front of the big stores, right? I pull into this big American car park where there's a supermarket and there's several other shops to the side. And I'm pulling in and I'm just mad. I've got this anger on me. I was with a friend of mine named John Baster. And I had this, I was just, I just couldn't get this little guy's 
face out of my heart. You know, I was just angry on the inside of the work of the devil and this, these cancers and this stuff like this. And I looked over to the side and John said, what's that? And we looked and we, and like down about 15 cars down in the middle of the car park, there's about 15 or 20 people all bending over some person. Well, what it was, was this, it was this, bless her heart, this big, big woman, I mean big woman, and she was in an incredible, she was in the midst of having a seizure, an epileptic seizure. Big seizure, I mean big time, you know what, you know, grand mall. And I walked over there, before, I didn't even think about it. This is what was so unusual, and this is what I'm trying to communicate. I'm not trying to draw attention to something about me right now. I'm trying to draw your attention to a spiritual principle. I walked over there, and, I, and this woman, I looked over, and the, her body was out that way, in other words, and I'm, I'm at her head, and there was like two guys holding her legs down like this on both sides, because she's a big woman, and there's two guys over here holding her shoulders down, and somebody else holding her head, because she's going through this horrific seizure, and this, you know, foaming at the mouth and the whole bit. And uh, I looked at her, and they're holding her legs down. And I looked, and I didn't even think. And it was what, this, is what was, this is what I mean. There's something about going beyond your thought process. I didn't even think. John told me more about this afterwards. I looked at her, and I said, in the name of Jesus. And the moment I said, in the name of Jesus, her legs lifted. These two men, four men, two on this, lifted. These, her legs lifted all four men off the ground. This, I'm serious. Lifted, her, lifted them off the ground because she was just started to manifest. Because in most cases... Epilepsy is definitely a spirit. It's a spirit. It just is. You've got to deal with a spirit. And this thing lifted her up, man. And I mean to tell you, it started, and it just, and she just looked up in her face. And I reached down. I said, in the name of Jesus. And I slapped her on the forehead. I went, I, I slapped her on the head. I said, in the name of Jesus. I said, I rebuke you. I said, come out of her. And I just, and she went, and then like this. And then she went, I just went, like a leaf and I just walked off walked to the store and bought my tomatoes and I mean to tell you all those people John said if you would have waited around he said to see the looks on the faces of all these people because they were all <laughs> he said the moment I yelled and hit this one slapped this woman in the head the way John said he said you had a lot of room to work brother <laughs> because all these people they were going what in, what is this what's all, what's happening but this woman I mean she just it stopped instantly I came back out of the store there's an ambulance there because somebody called the ambulance. This woman is sitting up, totally free, talking to people, saying, I feel different. I feel different. I feel different. Two weeks later, she was in our church. She never had another seizure for the rest of her life. Well, the rest of the time until I came to England. I mean, God just totally delivered her. And she'd had these things. She had scars all over her face where she'd fallen constantly and, you know, and been going through hell and back all her life with these seizures. All I know is this. You know, I, I've prayed for many people, but something happens when there's a righteous indignation in us where we are against these things because we see these things as absolute works of an enemy that are so against the ways of Christ that you get something happens in you where you just snap and you go, I refuse this stuff the right to function. And that's the same way like I've got healed. I've told you the story. You've probably heard me before when I, about just four years ago, for in this, you know, I'm, I, you know, this is the horrible thing about some of the things about God. You know, we learn to cope with things, don't we? You know what I mean? You, you, you have something for so long, you learn to live with it. 
And something had been going on in my stomach, in my gut. I don't know what it was, but I mean, I was in pain. And I mean, months went by. You can ask Julie, months went by. And I mean, I hurt so bad. You know, I'd go and preach every Sunday. I'd preach on him, preach whatever. I'd preach, and it's amazing. When you're up there ministering, it's like God's grace. or not, I don't feel a thing. But the moment I would stop speaking, I mean, I'd have this pain. And I mean, it was bad. And I'd come home sometimes. I couldn't go out with Julie. I couldn't do anything. She'd say, Rod, you've got to get to a doctor and find out what's going on. And I said, oh, you know, men, men were, you know. I said, yeah, one day I'll, I'll go. But I said, whatever. I'm okay, and I just got worse and worse. Then Julie went up north with one of our associates once, to, uh, one of our administrators to speak. And one of the partners to our ministry evidently was this doctor who was a, a gastrointestinal and specialist. In other words, he was a specialist in the area of your stomachs, whatever went wrong. And Julie began, while she's up there, telling him about the symptoms of this stuff that I had. And, and she, he said to her, you need to get him up here now. I want to see him now. What you're describing, she didn't, he didn't say what it was, but he just said, what you're describing isn't good. You need to get him up here now. Tell him I'll clear something off. I'll pay for the train ticket if he wants it. I always remember, just get him on the train. So Julie comes back that Sunday night. I come in from ministering in London and I walk in the door and I am in so much pain. She can see I'm just white in my face. This thing hurts so bad. And Julie, my wife, in her inimitable way, was not happy. I said, Rod, you're going to get on this train, and you're going to get on this train tomorrow. And that's <laughs> like a good wife. You know? <laughs> she, said, she said, you're going to get on this train. I want you to get to this doctor and find out what's going on. And you can ask her. I stopped, and I looked at her, and I said, baby, I said, okay, okay. I said, give me 30 minutes. I said, give me 30 minutes. And she said, what do you mean? I said, just let me go into the bedroom by myself and give me 30 minutes. I, wa I walked in my bedroom. I laid down on the bed. And I mean, it, you know, have you ever hurt so bad that you wish somebody would kill you? <laughs> I mean, you just hurt so bad. The only way you get better is if somebody shots you. You know what I mean? And I'm laying there. And I said, just give me 30 minutes. And, you know, I, I wish I could. Um, cause I, I wish I could communicate what it is that you do. Um, but it's more embarrassing what we don't do. All I know is this, I connected, I, I laid down and I got serious. I got, I don't know how to say it, I got really serious with the Lord. I mean, I, I came before him afresh, no matter what had happened, weeks, months, how long I've been fighting and, you know, having struggling with this. And I, and see, I had prayed, quote unquote, before, even had friends pray for me before, but I laid down on that bed and I got serious. And, and all I can say is I said, Father, I, I just, I just, you know, I can't even tell you, I connected with heaven. I did what I knew I could do if I really, really put myself to it. And I connected with heaven. I mean, all these scriptures that God's had in my life over the years, all these things that I taught, you know, they can just be in your head. But I began to pull on these things and on the fact that God is who he says he is. All I know is this, 30 minutes later, I walked out that door totally free from pain, totally well, totally healed, haven't had one pain since. But I walked out of there and just totally fine. I said, I'm fine. 
And Julie looked at me and she put her hands in her and she said, well, bless God, <laughs> if you know how to do this stuff, why didn't you do it? Why didn't, why have you, you know, two years have gone by? And she, <laughs> she, let me, she gave me a, read me the right act for a bit. And you know, this is the embarrassing thing, but what I, why am I telling you this story? I don't know why we're so stupid, but whether it's me or whether it's anybody else, I'm telling you, we get very quickly trained, like I said, in how to cope with something. All I do know is this, you don't get free until there's a fight that comes on the inside of you. And I mean inside of you, not inside of somebody else. I said inside of you, where suddenly something, where you aggressively, violently inside, you and you alone, where you take a hold of the stuff and you say, this is not how I'm going to live. And you begin to pull and you put a demand on heaven. You begin to put a demand on heaven. I mean that because remember, see, we are in covenant with God. He is your God. He's your father. He's your brother. He's all of that. He's your healer. And you have a right to this. I don't know how to explain everything that's in the air that interferes with things happening quickly and why things don't just smoothly just flow like jello. But I know, you see, it's too late really for many of us, isn't it? I know that this stuff is real and that there's a price to pay, but that you can connect with heaven. And that the moment you really do like flip that switch of faith, and you let that light stay on, I'm telling you, something supernatural goes to work. And God's word, his spirit will quicken, make alive your mortal flesh. Hallelujah. But, but there's got to be a fight in you. This is what I mean. This is why I don't want you just to hear this stuff and just, well, I've heard some scriptures on healing or I've heard a teaching. I'm trying to get you to understand that there's no shortcuts in any area of God's will for our lives. We are in this world. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says that Satan is the God of this world. God's perfect will doesn't just happen here. Somebody has to Reap it. Somebody has to study God's word and begin to exercise their authority over this world by taking something that's supernatural in origin, some supernatural wisdom, and beginning to push out of your personal environment all that natural power and that natural wisdom. And God is a very present help in times of trouble, but you have to pull on him and put a demand on him because it's, you know, people think this stuff just falls on you, that it just happens. And again, see, we've been kind of subliminally taught that by experience again, because we're so used to healing ministries or gifts, people that have great, uh, you know, spiritual gifts. And we see we're, we've kind of, contained God into only moving through the gifts of the Spirit, through the manifestations of His Spirit. Well, they're all manifestations of God's Spirit. But what I mean is we're always looking for someone else to lay their hands on us or someone else to, 
to, you know, wave, like I say, the magic wand over our head, you know, and cause a bing, you're perfect, everything's gone away now, you know, <laughs> you'll never have another problem. And it's, it's just, we're in this world. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world of the power to harm you. And then in 1 John again, he says, listen, guys, this is the victory that overcomes this world, even our faith. Even our faith. So again, we just have to hunt this stuff out for ourselves. But it's worth it because again, see, I want you to begin to have your own experiences in your own room, in your own home, in your own bedroom. It's when you and God connect that no one else, you will never... I don't care, you won't, like Paul said, be carried about by every changing wind of doctrine. Because the issue is, God wants to manifest himself to you, each of you as an individual. And he knows where every one of you are at in your own personal place of need. But he will meet you. See, don't ever doubt that he won't meet you because remember, God's no respecter of persons. That's, I love that simple truth. If, has God, do you believe God's ever healed anybody of anything? Well, see, if God's no respecter of persons, and if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he's ever healed, if he's ever healed anybody of anything, then we have to understand that he can heal you today, right? Because he's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of times. The only issue is, will there be a similar condition met? In other words, will he find faith? Will he find persistence? Will he find somebody that says, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. I said, I'm not going to let go. In other words, you got some fight about you. I'm not going to stop at the first obstacle. It's like people who don't attend the healing meeting because they can't find a place to park. You can see that they had a lot of willpower. You know what I mean? It was, in other words, if you're stopped that easily, Forget it. The four, the man born by four, I love the fact that King James says that when they came to the house and they saw that there was no way to get in, it says they sought means. It says those four men sought means to get their friend to Jesus. They wouldn't be stopped. They climbed on top of the roof. Like I said, that, this is called determination. <laughs> dug a hole through the roof and throw the guy down at Jesus' feet, you know. I mean, they dug a hole in the roof. I mean, people who are hungry will find a way. But again, most people aren't, they're just not hungry enough. Well, we, let's, let's move on now. Anyhow, so those are my little stories. I want to turn to Acts 14 now. In Acts 14, we're going to see another thing here in the church age, what he's doing. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 7, it says, And they continued to preach the glad tidings of the gospel. Now, Lystra, a man sat who found it impossible to use his feet, for he was a cripple from birth and had never walked. Verse 9 says, he was listening. Everybody say listening. He was listening to Paul as he talked. Well, Paul, everywhere he went, was teaching and preaching the kingdom of God as well. So he was listening. So faith comes by hearing again. See, again, it's just suddenly somebody hears it. This is why I mean, it's a, you know, I get, I'm sure you guys get really, really bored with me 
because I say so much of the same thing in so many of the same classes, different classes. But it's the same truths, you see, that run throughout all of God's Word. Mark 4, about the seed, four types of soil, remember. The message is the same in all four instances, but only 25%, only one-fourth of the people bring forth any fruit from what they hear. 75% allow distractions or allow thorns or weeds or other things to choke the message. And Satan steals the message, and therefore the people lose any chance of manifestation because something comes to steal the message. But here verse 9 says that this cripple was listening to Paul as he talked, and Paul, I love this way it's written, Paul gazing intently at him, watch this, Paul gazing intently at him observed that he had faith to be healed. In other words, he could see this guy is listening. This guy's getting it. Because not everybody's getting it. But it says Paul looked at him and saw, he said, observed that he had faith to be healed. And Paul shouted at him. Here again, does he pray for the guy? No. He speaks to him. Paul shouts at the guy and said, stand upright on your feet. And the guy leaped up and walked. <laughs> oh, well, I like all that stuff <laughs> to me because that's how it works. Authority in action. Guys who had been spending so much time alone with God, with the scrolls, with the word, when they were confronted outside of the church with these things, when they saw these things, they had a greater revelation of a greater authority. They had something else working in their spirit that said, this is more powerful than that. This that I have is more powerful than that. Greater is he that's in me than that that's in this world that's trying to keep me down. I refuse to stay down. It's a personal choice. It's a personal choice. I refuse to stay down. Turn to Acts 19. We're going to have to finish with this one. Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 11. And God did unusual. Well, let me read verse 10. They continued for two years. This continued for two years so that all the inhabitants of the province of Asia, Jews as well as Greeks, heard the word of the Lord concerning the attainment through Christ of eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. And God did unusual and extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or towels or aprons which had touched his skin were carried away and put upon the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So in the church age, let me just go back to the outline. Shoot. In the church age, we see that all through scripture, Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, he was healing all that were sick. If I would have listed the rest of the, the, the verses in the book of Acts, you'll find all these places in the book of Acts where it says they healed all the sick that came to them. 
Many times, many, many times. The lame man, the temple gate, Aeneas and Dorcas, the impotent man healed. And like I said, here there were special miracles. This, and this is where, again, guys, you have, to, you have to understand faith. I know I've said it in both classes and every course, but you have to because you see, it's called, Oral Roberts really shook the nations, or shook the church world years ago when he first started talking about what it means to establish a point of contact. And he would say to people in those old days, come and lay your hands. I'm gonna pray for you now. Come and lay your hands on the television or come and lay your hands on the radio. And people thought he was being crazy and gimmicky, but what he understood was that he had to establish a point of contact that you could connect with, that you could connect with. In other words, again, it's knowing, it's, it's something where he, God has to get us to a place where we are able to release what we believe. We, release, we use the phrase release our faith. What do you believe? Jesus met people where they believed. So one of the things you need to do if you need healing, they're trying to minister healing to people, is you need to sometimes have them go away and say, well, what are you able to believe? Because I'll minister to you at that point. I'll lay hands on you when you tell me what you believe or what have you. Uh, like we got to stop and we got a minute, but this thing was about miracles and things by handkerchiefs. God's really allowed a lot of stuff to happen through my life in that area. Right here in London, I've had a friend that came to me when he heard my testimony about being a heroin addict and all this stuff. He, in the church here at Emmanuel, right there on Marshall Street, a guy came up whose son had been a heroin addict for like 12 years. He asked me to pray for him. I said, do you have a handkerchief? I prayed, I laid hands on a handkerchief and prayed. I said, take it, give it to him. Don't tell him what it's about. The kid had been an addict for eight years. He came back four weeks later. His son was totally delivered from sickness, totally delivered from heroin addiction, and is now working with one of the top film companies in Britain, goes all over the world as one of the top directors. The guy's whole life has turned around. He said the moment this thing touched him, it said the guy just, just was changed. It's an, God's anointings are incredible. Anyhow, we gotta stop. It's God's will for you and I to walk in health. It's God's will for you and I to minister this to others. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is eternal. You said heaven and earth would pass away, but your words will never pass away. So it's as good today as it was then. Help us learn these things and let them be written upon our spirits, not just our heads. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.